Um, last year, late last year, uh, some of you may have seen, um, I, I don't know statistically, you'd have to work it out, but there was a video that went viral on YouTube. A man named Gavin McInnes uh, posted a video, and uh, 12 million people saw it pretty quickly, and um, a lot of them reacted negatively to it because the title of the video was How to Fight a Baby. And um, that's that's a picture from it. Um, in it, he, he, he the idea is that uh, babies intimidate a lot of men, but they're really not that hard to take on. Um, and so the the course of his video, he uh, he explains how to fight a baby. And uh, most people, most people got the idea that this was humorous, and some people didn't. Um, and uh, uh, he has, uh, what, 9,000 people like, uh, dislike and 75,000 people like. But it made, it made the news. I, I heard about it through a secondary source that was uh, kind of talking to him. You know, what, what about these people who, who, you know, look at that horrible video you put together? So um, when, I, when I went to see the video, I didn't think much of it because it reminded me of my nephew. Um, my nephew's dad is a, is a judo instructor, and he used to play this game on the living room floor where he would flip his son forward and backward and do all these different judo flips with his son. And, um, and this really reminded me of it. Uh, and his son would be screaming with laughter and, and just giggling all during the course of it. And, um, and I don't know, some people, uh, people say that that might be bad too. But, um, I will, I will quote from, from the science now. The science tells us this. It says, um, it says, uh, there's a researcher, Michael Lamb, and he's found, um, <laughs> he says, uh, fathers are more likely to engage very young children in what's usually called rough and tumble play. <laughs> a study by Lamb found that infants actually preferred to be held by their fathers because fathers were likely to play with them while mothers were likely to feed them or change their diapers. Two-year-olds who wanted to play sought out their fathers more than their mothers. Playing, wrestling, and otherwise challenging children is a hallmark of the involvement of fathers with their children at all ages. So I don't know about this video. You'll have to watch it and, and make up your own mind. But um, but uh, uh, there is uh, uh, at least a possibility that maybe some rough-and-tumble play may, might be good for kids. So... Um, uh, when I when I saw the video and was thinking about my nephew and his situation, it reminded me of the way when my son was young, I used to enjoy uh, playing a particular game. Maybe some of you have played this with your kids. You know, you 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 grab the kid kind of around the the ribs and you throw them up in the air and they kind of catch air and they fall back down and you catch them and they laugh and they laugh and they laugh. And and Margot said, "Well, that's that's okay, but you probably shouldn't do it with him upside down." <laughs> Because it's one thing if he falls on his, his, you know, padded diaper. It's another thing if he lands on his head. And I thought about it and I said, you know, actually there's, there's probably some wisdom there. So, um, so, so I discontinued, I discontinued the inverted, uh, um, uh, uh, baby tossing and stuck with strictly up and down tossing. Um, and he, he, he survives to this day. So, um, so, uh, uh, there are, um, there are things though that you don't know that maybe they, they seem like they're a good idea, but maybe they aren't. And and you know they they say babies don't come with instruction manuals, but actually there's an infinite number of instruction manuals. You know you couldn't possibly read them, read them all. Um, and so so really the process of becoming a parent and particularly becoming a dad is is filled with these kind of uh, navigating as you go along, trying to figure out what the right way to do it is and so forth. Um, um, and and uh, it doesn't help that society is changing. That, that a lot of things that used to be uh, normal are no longer normal. You know, should you take your kid to uh, little league or to soccer? And and my dad had an easy answer for that. He never heard of soccer. Um, but 
But nowadays, you, you do soccer, and kids go to soccer, and maybe they go to Little League too, but they certainly go to soccer. And so, so things change, but, but things change in deeper ways too. From the 1930s, um, uh, starting in the 1930s and going through the, through today, the majority of babies in our country, the vast majority, 99% of babies in our country are born in hospitals. And for the bulk of that time, uh, fathers were excluded. They weren't allowed to be anywhere near the delivery process. They were um, out in the hallway. You know, the ashtrays were getting filled up because back in those days you could smoke in hospitals and things like that. So, so it was just a different society. And starting in the 80s uh, uh, or late 70s, uh, dads became more and more common in um, first delivery rooms and then later on operating rooms. They, so dads were even a, uh, around during cesarean deliveries. So society is changing in kind of... Uh, uh, shallow ways like what games we prefer to play and how, how you do the rearing of children in terms of what games you take them to, but also in very deep ways in terms of where parents are involved and what their expectations are. So, so you want to be a, you want to be a good, a good parent, you want to be a good dad, but there's, there's things that you don't know. Should you flip the baby upside down or right side up? Um, should you, should you take them to soccer games? Should you do all these different things? And, and it's a moving target in terms of the science. It's a moving target in terms of what society's expectations are. And, and, um, uh, at the same time, society is devaluing parenting. Uh, uh another, another, uh, quote here from, from this book. Um, beginning, you know, this is kind of a commonplace complaint nowadays, but this idea that, that dads are, are being devalued. Um, you know, shows like The Simpsons, where Homer Simpson's the dumbest one in the family, even including the baby. And and um, this idea that dads are really kind of optional equipment and you don't need them, it actually is not new to The Simpsons. It goes back to the 1920s. The historian Elizabeth and Joseph Peck um, pointed to cartoons from the Saturday Evening Post beginning in the 1920s that depicted father as a bumbling fool who did not know how to control or discipline his children he could not cook a meal or put his children to bed without tripping over his shoelaces. And so uh, on, on and on it goes. Society is at the same time uh, changing what it is uh, fathers are expected to do, and at the same time they're also devaluing the work, making it less motivating for fathers to learn how to do these things. So, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to be uh, a parent, and it's a, it's a hard thing to be a father because of these, these changes in, in what, what your expectations are and in terms of, uh, what what we know is the right thing to do as well. So um, uh, when when my children were born, you know, I, I had looked, picked up from you know the 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 grapevine that I would be expected to be involved in changing the two a.m. diapers and things like that. So so I did my I think more than my fair share, but maybe maybe that's just a. <laughs> My, my groggy mem- memory at work, but I did that, you know, took the kids to ballet lessons and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, soccer practice and, and did all those sorts of things. Uh, I even did this, um, there's actually a, a fascinating study. Um, in, in Sweden in the, in the 1870s, there was a, a town that had very good records of what people's, um, how, how good their pr- produce was and how much they had to eat. And they found out that the diet of your Father's father affects your health. I mean, it's very strongly correlated with your health. Um, if your father's father was hungry, as a, 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 if your father's father was hungry, then you will have better health. And if your father's father was well fed, 
then you will, you are more prone to diabetes and heart disease, which is just this amazing, amazing stat. So, so, uh, you've probably been involved, maybe you know family members or something where, where, uh, people are very concerned during pregnancy with nutrition, getting the right food, you know, not, not drinking, eating all the right food. Margot got some of that. She made me eat some kale. So I'm thinking my great, great grandchildren will, will benefit from the, uh, she was eating kale for the baby. I don't know why I was eating kale, but it's, it's like, it's like eating an entire bottle of minerals or something wrapped in spinach. And it's, I'm not a fan, so if you like kale, well, just pray for me. But, but, um, I did all, you know, I, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to be a good father. Um, I'm trying to learn how to be a good father. And, uh, because I don't want my kid to wind up, you know, on the Jerry Springer show or something or whatever the shows are today. I don't want them on TV saying, I would be better if only my dad were, right? You know, who wants that? Um, I want to, I, I want to have a, a normal, well-adjusted, happy kid. Um, I, I want that. And, and if you're, uh, and my guess is most of us do. I don't think that that's a, an outlier, but, but, on top of that, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person who follows Jesus, then there's an additional reason why we want to be good parents, and in particular, we want to be good fathers. And the reason is because God's desire for fathers is that they be, that we be, pointers to Him. That, that God's desire is that people look at fathers and say, that gives me some insight into the way God looks at me. So he wants us to be able to hear the story of the prodigal son where the father runs to, to, to meet the son and say, I've never heard of a father like that. I can't imagine a father like that. He wants to say, well, I can, I can at least imagine it. I can, I know some really good fathers and so I can at least, I can picture how much more that is. God wants us to at least point in the right direction so that people can look at us and say, oh, that's what God is like. And the reality is none of us succeed, but some of us do do uh, more poorly than others. Some some fathers are not good at all. And of course, we all know uh, people who are terrible fathers. Um, maybe, maybe it's something that's been a part of our own life. Maybe it's somebody in our extended family. Maybe it's somebody down the block. But we know people who have been terrible parents, terrible fathers. And and so uh, we, we, we want to be better than that. But as, but as followers of Jesus, we, we understand that we have an additional responsibility. So if you're a dad, you know, keep in mind, that's also, you know, no pressure, but, uh, people want to see God when they look at you. Um, and, and, and maybe that's, that's a lot of pressure. And, and what a lot of, a lot of churches have done, uh, uh, particularly, uh, mainline churches, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, United Methodist, United Church of Christ, there's, there's, there's groups of churches that have addressed this problem of the, 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 the bad father by saying, well, let's just not associate God with fathers because there's so many bad ones out there. And, and so, uh, in, in a lot of churches you see language people used, uh, today is Trinity Sunday, so instead of talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they'll use different language. They'll talk about a creator, redeemer, and sustainer. So they'll describe, uh, um, the, the, the persons of the Godhead as sustainer, redeemer, uh, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, and I'm not I'm not really a fan of that uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason is I don't believe that that people respond well when you call them by their job title. If you go home and your kids say, "Hey, breadwinner," or or if you're if you're at home and you know you're a mom and the kid comes across and says, "Hey, laundry doer," um, or or uh, table preparer, 
um, you know, that's probably not going to be the best relationship if you refer to people by their by their job titles. Years ago, there was a show called uh, Lois and Clark. It was a Superman and Lois Lane kind of show. And at one point, Lois Lane says, oh, but you're Superman. You can do all these cool things. And and Clark Kent says, no, Superman is what I do. Clark Kent is who I am. And so I think we have better relationships when we relate to people not by what they do, but by but by who they are. And and that leads me to the other point, which is that Jesus didn't use that sort of language when he talked to God. He didn't talk about creator, redeemer, sustainer. He talked to God the Father. Um, and certainly in, in his time, there were plenty of bad parents in those days as well. So Jesus nevertheless continues to use the language of God the Father. So um, I'm going to try and take my cue from Jesus. So... So whether you're, whether you're a person of faith and you want your life as a father to point to, to the good God we have, um, in heaven, or whether you're just an ordinary dad just trying to be a, as good a dad as you possibly can, uh, we want to know how to do it. We want to know how to do it well. And it won't come as a surprise to you that there are, there, there are guidelines in the scriptures. So we're going to look at one now. It's from the, the book of Colossians. It's what's called a household code. Um, scholars, who categorize things in the Bible call this a household code. And there's actually several household codes in the Bible. Uh, they tell us, scholars do, that this is the oldest one, that the other ones are later. The book, there's a, one in Ephesians, there's one in First Peter, there's some others. But they say the one in Colossians is the oldest one. It's the, it's the one closest in time to, to Jesus. And so it gives us a, a good idea of the way the early church saw the roles within the household. Um, so I want to spend some time looking at it. And what we're going to see here is that there is a principle that is maybe not intuitive, but it is surprisingly easy to be a good father according to what Scripture teaches. So I want to take a look at it. Um, uh, one of the problems with these household codes is that um, is that they are unfamiliar passages. If you are part of a mainline tradition like ours, uh, Presbyterian, United Methodist, and others, um, many many of those churches follow something called uh, the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a reading program. And one of the frustrations I have with the Revised Common Lectionary is they don't include any of the household codes. They've just kind of cut around them so you don't get this sort of teaching. And, and the reason is pretty clear. We don't want to talk about slavery and things like that. But instead of cutting it out, I'm going to try and take it seriously. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at it. Uh, we're, we're picking it up in Chapter 3. The first two chapters of Colossians are incredibly deep uh, philosophy and theology. It's this deep, deep mystery of who Jesus is and how he relates to God. And it's it's all been talking about that for the past two chapters. And then, like all theology, there are practical implications of it. So in chapter 3, uh, Paul turns to some practical implications of what that means for us. And so that's where we're going to take a look at it. So... <clears throat> So let's go ahead and take a look now at uh, chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 17. The writer uh, Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's a pretty comprehensive statement. Everything you do, word or deed, uh, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and it's it's interesting. There's a little promise in here. It says, giving thanks to God the pro- God the Father. There's a, there's a a promise that's implicit in this. It says, if you do these things, if you behave in this way, then you will have cause to give thanks. And it doesn't explain how. And you know, it could be that that um, if you 
if you if you make a habit of saying um, uh, saying things in the name or doing things in the name of Jesus, then God will be uh, rewarding you. Just to, I'm glad you're doing what I told you to do. But I think it's probably deeper. I think what it's saying is that is that if you spend the time to say, how can I do the things I do, the, in word or deed, in, a, in such a way that they bring honor to the name of Jesus, if I can do these things truly in the name of Jesus, then I won't take any wrong paths. I, I, I will be, um, in, a, in a way, the, the, the things I do will be things that I won't feel bad about later, that, that I will be able to give thanks that I haven't taken these wrong turnings. So, so he says, do these things, but then he begins nailing it down, making it very specific. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands. And that's where we close our Bible and say, well, I don't like that, okay? We say, um, this is why it's not in the Revised Common Lectionary. I don't like that language. And in fact, we've got a pretty tame translation. If you look at a lot of translations, instead of saying be subject, they say submit. And so we say, I don't care for that kind of language very much. Uh, thank you. And um, so that's where we we kind of check out mentally. So what I want to do, I want to, I'm, I'm headed for verse 21, but I want to spend just a moment to talk about that um, because these are troublesome verses. I appreciate that. Um, uh, so what I'd like to do very quickly is is give you some some principles you can apply when you're in the Bible and suddenly you come across something that every part of you kind of uh, rejects. So so here's here's the first one. The first one is read it in context. Uh, so if you read if you read in Colossians three, um, I think we've got some context here. Uh, so Colossians three, which we did not read, it talks in verse twelve. It says, "As God's chosen ones, holy and loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you." Uh, there's this idea of rep- reciprocity. There's this idea of of this is this is part of a relationship where there's a whole lot of forbearance and compassion and mercy and kindness toward one another. So it's not talking about uh, submit because because it's it's appropriate uh, because you're you're a lower person or something. It's actually saying there's a, there's an equality here and um, that the, there should be reciprocity. But um, that brings us to the next point, which is. Uh, read it carefully. Uh, read it carefully. Because what it says is, um, what was my next point? Help me out here. Alright, it says be subject. <laughs> There's two points. Um, be subject to, not obey. The other two, the other two instructions, uh, to children and to slaves is to obey. But to wives, it's not to obey. And the reason for that is the scripture isn't telling us that women have an intrinsically subordinate role. And must obey, that the appropriate thing to do is to obey. Rather, it's saying that you are equal, but when a tie, uh, when, when there's a disagreement, then there has to be some way of resolving the tie. And so there is an arbitrary decision. The scripture says, wives, be subject to your husbands. It says, it says that, and it's like in baseball where, where it says the tie goes to the runner. It's like driving your car where it says, in this country, you drive on the right side of the road. In uh, England, you drive on the left side of the road. It's arbitrary, but you need some rule in order to resolve the the disagreements. Uh, the other thing, notice it says, is in the Lord. It says, it says, wives be subject to your husbands in the Lord. This is not a recipe for how Christians think society needs to be ordered. This is not saying we need to change our laws. Yeah, you you who don't follow Jesus need to change your life so you can. You can follow this. It's saying very specifically in the context of a Christian home, 
This is something you can do in the Lord by God's grace and using God's power. So it's a very narrow, it's a very narrow um, statement that's being made here, and we have to be uh, very careful not to try and overstate it. And then the final point is when you're looking at a passage that gives you trouble, um, ask yourself, does this apply to me? So in this case, what, what this scripture says is, um, it says, it says, um, wives, do this, and then it's followed immediately by a passage that's, or a verse that says, husbands, do that. So, so read the part that applies to you. So if a husband comes to me and says, um, I have a problem with my wife because she won't submit to me, then I will say, that's her problem. That's not your problem. What does it say for you to do? And he'll say, uh, love my wife. And, and I'll say, okay, that's the part you need to work on. Okay. The other part's between her and Jesus. Okay. So we need to be very careful. We're not reading the parts of the Bible aimed at other people. So read the part that's aimed at you and ignore the parts that aren't aimed at you because they're not your business. So, um, that's, that's some kind of a quick treatment of a, of a difficult subject. And we're having, um, we're having extreme preaching in a couple of weeks. So if you want to, to kind of wrestle with this some more, we can then. But I do want to move on to, cha- to, to verse, um, 18. Um, where, uh, sorry, uh, verse uh, 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. So, um, if you are a child and you're wondering, uh, what is God's, uh, instruction to you? Uh, the answer is obey your parents. What does it mean to be a child? In this case, it's a household code. It doesn't mean your distant father who lives in another country. It means, means your father who is in the same house. And so when they say, uh, set the table, your answer is yes, ma'am. No, uh, yeah, yes, sir. If they say, if they say take out the garbage, the correct Christian answer is yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Um, and that's really that's really the answer. And 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 if that's frustrating to you, and you say, well, you know, that's why you shouldn't come to church on Father's Day. What would you expect? I, I've got I've got a thought for you, but I want to I'll come back to it. So so if you're a child and you're wondering, that doesn't sound very nice. Um, I'll come back to that. But I want to talk now finally about verse 21 because this is where we find the application. This is the counterintuitive, but actually pretty easy thing that the Scripture tells us to do: how to be a good father. This is where we're headed. And this is where I want to kind of wrap up today. I want to talk about how to be a good father. And what does it say? It says, fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Uh, provoke means to, uh, to goad, to issue challenges to, to turn everything into a contest. Um, do not, do not treat your children in such a way that, that you, you are provoking them, that you are you are relating to them as as in a contest um, because if you do, they will lose heart. Uh, the reality is God has given um, parents in the home responsibility to to, to govern children um, and and if the if the kid says let's let's camp out in the living room, you may or may not say yes, but if they say let's build a fire in the living room, then you're going to have to say no. And if you turn that into a contest, they're going to lose. And if you lose enough then you will be dispirited. You will be discouraged. So the scripture says, says, uh, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. I don't know 
what your life has been like. I don't know uh, if you're a father. I don't know what your particular style is. But I know in my house, uh, I break this rule probably a dozen times a week because my kids need provoking. Uh, I, I, trust me, they just absolutely need provoking. And yet the Scripture tells me, no, they really don't. Um, the Scripture tells me that that's not the best way to relate to your children, that it doesn't have to be one of those things where you say, you're not getting up from that table until you've cleaned your plate. You're not going to go to bed until you've done your homework. It doesn't always have to be a contest. You don't always have to provoke your children. And so this is a word to me because I'm just convinced somewhere in my heart that if I don't do this right, they'll turn out wrong. If I don't turn everything into a contest so they know who the boss is, then they won't turn out right. And the scripture says, chill. It says, just just relax. Amp it down a little bit. Okay? It says, don't make it into a contest. And they will turn out right. And you say, yeah, but that's the scripture. So let's talk science. I want, I want to, this is the book I've been quoting from. I want to, um, I want to, uh, to read you some amazing, amazing statistics from it. Um, I'm going to put all these online, um, on, on my blog. So, um, there's some amazing statistics. This is, uh, the book, Do Fathers Matter? What Science is Telling Us About the Parent We've Overlooked by Paul Rayburn. Paul Rayburn is, um, the chief media critic for the Knight Science Journalism Tracker at MIT. And he writes the About Fathers blog for Psychology Today and is a regular guest on NPR's Science Friday. So in addition to telling us that maybe having judo flips for your baby is cool, um, he also says um, that people people often thought this. through the, from, from about 1950 until the late 80s, uh, most of the science assumed that uh, the role of fathers was to show was to show their children how to how to be uh, uh, adults. Uh, and in particular for, for their sons. They were supposed to teach their sons what it meant to be a man. And so they measured this and they, they, they tried to correlate how, how men, um, were perceived and how their sons were perceived when their sons reached adulthood. So they wanted to see is there a connection between them. And the particular characteristics they looked at were called, uh, they lumped them together and called them masculinity. But they were toughness, power, status, sturdiness in a crisis, a willingness to take risks and ignore what others think. So, Kind of, you know, the, the stereotypical male behavior. They wanted to see, do these relate? And the answer is they don't. There was no consistent connection between a father's masculinity and his sons. But, in the 1960s, they began looking and they found that the relationship between father and son was crucially important. When a father had a warm relationship with his son, that son would grow up to be more like his father than sons who were not close to their fathers. A father's own masculinity was irrelevant. Warmth and closeness with his son was the key factor. Where is my chart? Ah. So there are some other there are some other um, quotes I want to I want to pull out of here very quickly. Um, uh, so on page fifty two. It says, um, it says, teachers were asked to rank, all right, it says, a group of researchers watched fathers in the home playing with their three and four year old children. Teachers then were asked to rank the children according to their popularity among their classmates in school. Children of fathers who engaged in the most physical and enjoyable play had the highest popularity ratings. Um, uh, 145. I should have marked these with little arrows, but. 
bad me. Um, so uh, fathers are found to make unique contributions to children's language development more than mothers. Um, fathers made unique contributions to children's expressive language development that went above and beyond the contributions of education and child care. Um, and then I'll, I'll close with uh, these last two because they're kind of important. Um, uh, fathers reading, they, they, measured, they measured these um, girls and, and they, they found out, uh, they, 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 what they did is they talked to adults. But before they, before they tried to correlate anything about their lives, the first thing they did is they said, tell us about your relationship, you know, your, your growing up and so forth. And they kind of filed that away. Then they kind of talked to them about their different situation. And they found this. Fathers reading to a seven-year-old girl or asking 16-year-old girls about school helped to prevent depression and other psychological ailments in those kids decades later. So um, enough is known now about uh, the positive impact of father's presence and so forth. Um, there's, a, there's a statistic. This is the other one I wanted to close with. So um, uh, researchers have revealed an, a robust association between father absence, both physical and psychological, and accelerated reproductive development and sexual risk-taking in daughters. So um, if, if a father is present, they, they found it was an 11-month 11, 11 difference in um, uh, onset of uh, puberty and just amazing statistics just from having a father present um, that, that puberty comes 18 months later when a father is present. So there's a lot of really important science that's coming out about the value of fathers. And what it says is that fathers have a, an incredibly important role but that the solution to doing it well is not to bear down hard, but to relax, to engage in playful behavior with attention at a low setting. And so that's really, that's really the, the Father's Day application here. And let me, let me come back to the kids. I mentioned that um, it may not be uh, pleasant for kids to think that, that they have a role in this, but they really do, because they can have some control over the, the temperature in the household, kind of the, the, the the tension level in the household when when the kid says says um, uh, yes sir and yes ma'am that actually helps to lower the overall temperature setting in terms of the amount of tension in the house um, so it makes it easier for dad to do all those things that are so important in your development you will benefit from it and that's the science but if that's still not attractive I keep looking at my daughter but I know my son's out there somewhere um, listening in. So, um, so, um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to close with this thought, particularly aimed at children. Louis Giglio, he's, he's a pastor in, um, Atlanta. You might have noticed his name on the slide earlier. We sang a song, Holy is the Lord. Uh, he co-wrote that with Chris Tomlin. Um, Louis Giglio, he says, he says to kids, here's, here's what you do. Keep a diary, okay? Just, just, it can just be like an index card and you put little, little hatches on it, you know, one, two, three, four, cross, right? Do that. Do that 50 times when your parents ask you to do something. You say, I'm on it. You hop up, you unplug, you close the laptop, you jump up, and you do what your parents asked you to do. Do that 50 times and then ask yourself, is the setting in this house notched down a little bit? Is it easier for your parents to relate to you? Uh, he goes on, he, he tells a great story, but, but basically the parents will, of course, first to start asking the neighbors and say, you know, is this drug behavior? You know, what's, what's up with this? How come my child is somehow, you know, suddenly all obedient? What's up with that? But, but, 
he says, he says, what you can do then, when you've dropped the temperature down to to a better setting, when when the when the anxiety and the tension is a little bit lower in your house, then you have an opportunity as a kid to do something that is really awesome. Because what you can do is you can say, you can say, hey, Dad, I believe that God uh, uh, put you in this house because otherwise I might be setting fires in the living room. Okay, so you have a role. Your role is to represent God to me here on earth. And so, um, whenever, whenever you seek God's will and, and you, you, you are, you are doing the things that God put you here to do and, um, and you tell me to do something, I'm on that. I'm, I'm going to go do that right away. And I'm just so glad you're here to, to, to represent God to me in that way. Because what will usually happen at that point is the dad says, uh, I didn't seek God's will about that at all. I just ticked off because the table wasn't set. And, and what he says is that as we do this, as we, as we drop the temperature in the house and as, as we, we build ourselves into a place where we can say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here as God's representative, we can put pressure on our parents to be God's representatives to us. So, so the scriptures give advice to both children and to adults how we can be, how we can have a better family, how we can better relate to one another the way God's desire is. He says that God has made fathers very important. That's what science is telling us. But the answer to be a good dad is not to bear down harder, not to clench your fist tighter, but to relax, to love more, to play more. Kids have a role in that too. Imagine, imagine what it would be like if for the last 2,000 years the church had led in this area, if the church had shown the rest of society what a good family could be like, what a godly family could be like, if we understood relationships designed around the idea of love and not about power, not about increasing tension, but about relaxing and playing. Imagine what the church could be like and still can be like if this is the way we communicate what families are supposed to be about to the rest of the world, to the people in our own lives who don't follow Jesus. Just picture that and ask yourself, is it worth it to relax and play? Or is that too big of a risk? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the teachings of Scripture that help us to know your your desires for us, uh, desires for good and not harm. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help all of our families, our, our own families, the families around us, our extended families, and even even families in, in um, uh, homes down the street and across the country uh, because we all ultimately relate to one another. We pray for uh, fathers this day particularly, Lord, that that by your grace they can uh, trust you enough to relax a little bit, to to chill out, and uh, maybe to um, to bring the temperature setting down in the house a little bit, to spend more time relating to their children, and less t- less uh, challenging. Lord, we pray for children that they would be obedient, but that they would provide uh, good pressure, pressure in a good way, so that. Uh, they could be uh, guides to their parents. And we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.